Hi, welcome to We Excel Weekly. This is our We Excel podcast that encompasses our mission to empower and unite through passion, purpose, and story. All right, so today's guest, Kyle J. Hartman. Uh, He is a classically trained composer and orchestrator in Los Angeles and with recent projects including Freaks at Netflix, Turner Risk, Amazon Prime, SWAT, CBS, and The Real Right Stuff, Disney Plus. And uh, Kyle has been working with a talented variety of directors, producers, and fellow musicians. Kyle is exceptional at crafting and enhancing stories through music. And Kyle received his bachelor's in composition from Southern Methodist University in Dallas and his master's in film composition from the Seattle Film Institute under the direction of two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Dr. Hummy Mann. And Kyle is currently composing original orchestral tracks for the Extreme Music Library in collaboration with composers at Bleeding Fingers. Kyle, that's a lot of stuff. It's incredible. Yeah, who who are you talking about there? That that guy sounds pretty talented. I don't I don't uh, know if I'm on the right show. No, no, no. Well, that's you. That's you. That's incredible. And that's an incredible list of of accomplishments. Thank and you. it's also, and and it's cool that you know you. I like that you're currently also still working. And that's you know that's it's all about that work in progress. We're continuously doing our thing. And I'm so it's so cool to have you on. Um, you found us through our partnership with Masterclass, and um, I'm really glad that we are able to actually meet you because, you know, sometimes a lot of the uh, interviews we have are from the network that we've already established the past few years, so having an, a new guest on is, is really cool. And also from Los Angeles, like the heartland of, of storytelling. So without further ado, um, Kyle, let's, let's talk about your background and, um, and your upbringing. Um, what, tell us more about, you know, who you are and, and how did you become the Kyle you are today? Well, thank you guys so much for, for having me on, Arabella and the whole WeXL team. Uh, this is a real treat for me. So I grew up in North Texas, um, in the suburbs of like the Dallas and Fort Worth area. If you're not familiar with um, Texas, you can think about it like Los Angeles or New York, where there's like a main city hub and then hundreds of suburbs kind of around it. Um, so I grew up kind of in one of those or a couple of those suburbs because we moved a few times when I was a child. Um, but I grew up uh, taking piano lessons and singing in church choirs. And um, my mom would always play Hawaiian slack key guitar music. Uh, at home, because my mom's side of the family is Hawaiian. We have some native Pacific Islander blood on that side of the family. Oh, right. Um, That's right. So, yeah. So that was a <laughs> that was a real treat getting to grow up and listening to uh, Israel, Ole, the ukulele player and singer. Like He does the cover of Somewhere Over the Rainbow that um, some of you might have Absolutely. heard. Absolutely. I love that song. <laughs> right. Well, and he has other traditional Hawaiian tunes that he's arranged as well. So I was inspired to pick up the ukulele from him. Um, and then my family and I got to go see a concert by Jake Shimabukuru, who is, uh, in my opinion, one of the world's best ukulele players. And we got to see him in concert because he just stopped in one of these small towns in Texas one time and we just went to see him. And it's, it was the weirdest alignment of, of interest that I got to meet him and talk to him and um, get some of his sheet music and learn ukulele. And so um, that's a fun little 
little tidbit that I don't think I've told anyone before. Um, but yeah, I, so I grew up in North Texas and they have wonderful music programs there. Lots of music teachers and theory tests and piano teachers. Um, and I'm super grateful to all the instructors that, that taught me music theory because that factored into learning composition when I was in high school. Um, a fun little story about what got me into film composition specifically was uh, little 10 year old Kyle went to the movie theater. Um, I think I was 10. Yeah, because this would have been around like 2004, 2005. And I'm watching The Incredibles, <laughs> the Pixar movie. So I'm, <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself here, of course. But so yeah, 10 year old Kyle in some AMC theater, probably the AMC in, in Grapevine, Texas, because that was my favorite one to go to. And we're watching The Incredibles. And there's this specific moment in the story, if you're familiar with the movie, where um, the character Dash, he's the youngest kid and he runs really fast. And of course, you know, me being a boy and also having a sister and the two parents, like it, it I, I kind of fit into this archetypal family thing. So of course, I, as a 10 year old, I'm resonating with this, this basically 10 year old kid in, in a cartoon. There's this moment in the story where he runs so fast that he's running on water and he didn't know that he could do that. Uh, and then all of a sudden he realizes that he's doing it. He's already there. And then this music, like it starts with this little marimba thing, um, just a little trill. And then it explodes into this huge big band rendition of the theme. And um, so little 10 year old Kyle was just blown away by all of the different layers and meanings and storytelling in the music. And uh, it was kind of in that moment in the theater where I realized, oh, I could, I could write music. I could, there's someone sitting in a chair somewhere writing all of the music that i'm hearing i want to do that so that's kind of where that where that came from um maybe not the most interesting origin story but i no i think, I it's, think it's so cool <laughs> i think it's adorable i think that that's that's so that it's so cool to find you know the impetus to everyone's careers right and and i wanted to ask you about you know it's interesting you said fort Fort Worth, because we actually have um, have interviewed creatives from Fort Worth, and um, I need to introduce you to them. They have a uh, they have a theater company in in, in Fort Worth, and and um, they do a lot of Latinx stories. So I think you know oh, I yeah I never was really that connected with Fort Worth until we start until I started doing interviews um, at, uh, with through WeExcel, and and it seems like there's a lot of creative energy there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of um, musicians and theater people and there's acapella groups and bands and indie artists. Uh, the Deep Ellum area of Dallas, um, before 2020, there was all sorts of live performances there and new up and coming artists and guitar players and keyboardists and singers. And um, it's a it's kind of a an underground hub for, for for artists. Well, and then you think about Texas in general and you have Kelly Clarkson and Beyonce and, you know, just some of these like small names you've probably never heard of. Um, but these, these, you know, uh, Demi yeah, Lovato, like some of, some of these never powerhouse. Heard, never right. heard of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. But some of these, you know, like powerhouse singers and pop stars, um, even the Jonas Brothers were living like a neighborhood away from me when I was growing up. Like I was in like the Keller South Lake area and they were in a house in Westlake, which is like a town over. Um, so I never got to meet them while I was living there, but yeah, a lot of people who are like big time musicians and I were growing up in similar areas and going to the same, same shopping centers, <laughs> tripping over my words here. Cause I'm, 
like oh i was in the presence of greatness but yeah uh it's a it's a it is a music hub texas has really good music education and a lot of resources and a lot of little places to rehearse and perform and because there's a lot of space in texas right so if you want to go find a big open field somewhere and just set up you know guitars and microphones and amps and put on a concert like you can do that um there you know people are open to those kinds of live music experiences and those kind of like flash mob things because there's a lot of space to do that kind of thing in texas that's, so yeah, uh, that's it, was, it was a really fun place to grow up. And and so do you do you have this one pivotal moment where you you just were playing in Texas and and you just realized this is incredible? Do you have a, a story like that? Yeah, I think um, well because you mentioned I went to to college at Southern Methodist University, and that's on the Dallas side. Um, so that's north of downtown Dallas. And when I was in college, I got to participate in uh, music performances with the acapella group there. Uh, the male acapella group is called the Southern Gentleman. Um, it's a nice, cute little Texas name. And you know, we had the, <laughs> the khakis, kind of exactly what you would be picturing is, is what we looked like. Um, <laughs> and one of the coolest moments that I got to share with that group was performing the national anthem at uh, a Dallas Mavs game at the American Airlines Center where, you know, I had grown up like seeing concerts and seeing musicians and like the Trans-Siberian Orchestra performed there. And, you know, a few years later, here I am with my collegiate acapella group performing an arrangement of the Star Spangled Banner that like, you know, I helped arrange and I'm conducting and uh, it was super nerve wracking and also really fun. And then, you know, the second or third time that we got invited to go do that, you know, I, I wasn't as nervous. I could be a lot more confident. We had a lot more fun. Um, but yeah, that, that first performance, I think, is a really special moment in my, like, Texas music part of the career. Um, just to just to know that, like, I could be a part of something collaborative, that I could perform at that level um, and, and work with... That is with so a cool. Right. And I, the, the other guys in the acapella group, only a couple of us were music majors. So the majority of this group of singers... Um, you know, they're business majors and, you know, they're math guys or they're writers or you know, they're not necessarily trained musicians in the music department going for a degree in music. But, you know, because we all had this passion for singing and performing, we could all come together and, and make something. Um, and I I was so proud of them for like coming together and doing that. And that was that was a really fun experience overall. So uh, I'm grateful I had that opportunity. I, I think it, it, it's so cool to hear of, you know, the, the sort of your the creative process and the collaborative, um, the collaborations that you've you've gone through and, and been through and, and and continue to 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 have um, now for. You know, we, we, we love exploring because we're storytellers over here in, at We Excel and we love to explore that hero's journey. We love to explore, you know, obstacles and challenges in our lives because sometimes people look at someone and they think, oh, wow, they just they're just successful. Right. And they just wake up and they're just suddenly successful. And and what we want to tell our listeners is that, no, no, it takes a lot of hard work and, and there's ups and downs. Do you have a story around, you know, a, a really challenging moment in your life um, that you had to overcome that has made you a better artist today? That's a really good question. Um, I don't know if there's one particular moment that fully encapsulates what I think 
you're going for, but um, I, I'm immediately reminded of a quote by Ira Glass, the radio personality. And you guys have probably heard this quote before, but I'm going to butcher it to summarize. <laughs> it basically says that, you know, where your artistic standards are now is your goal. That's what you're trying to reach. But by the time you get there, your standards have risen proportionally. So you're always going to be underneath the ceiling of where your standards are, even even when you meet them, even when you're as good as you wanted to be when you were a kid, now you want to be better because you're older, you have more experience. So I think there's this constant sense among creative individuals, um, and this probably feeds into imposter syndrome as well, but it's the sense mm -hmm. that, you know, we're not good enough, we're not there yet, we're not professional enough, it's not polished enough. And that can really weigh a lot of people down. Um, so I don't have a specific moment that's been the most challenging, but I think just the idea of creating something from scratch and then trying to see that it has value to the world, that's been just a difficult like business proposition, just a difficult life to value the work that we do because it's not necessarily, you know, life-changing. It's not necessarily like medicinal. It's not necessarily um, going to feed the hungry or cure cancer or do anything that, you know, we've been told growing up is like, well, you, you know, if you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer, you're going to do this and help people and contribute in this way. And that's, you're going to get this amount of money in return because we all recognize the value of this. With art, that becomes a lot more ambiguous because the value becomes a lot more subjective. So in order for other people to value what you create, you have to value it first. And that's something I've I've slowly been learning during my time here in Los Angeles is that no one's going to give me the time of day. Nobody cares. Everyone's got their own hustle. And if I want my art to speak to the world and if I want to sell it and if I want to monetize multiple streams of income, uh, then I definitely need to be valuing my own art first and determining, you know, what it means to me and what I like about it and what's good about it and how much work that I've put into it um, to create something good for other people. Uh, and I'm, I'm also learning too that it's not a bad thing to just want to make the world a bit more beautiful. Um, and I think there's something really powerful in that idea that, you know, even in the day of streaming with, you know, Spotify and Apple music where people aren't really paying for music as much. Uh, I think everyone still wants something original and something different and something that, you know, enhances certain emotions at certain times. So for me, especially with film music, it's a way to, kind of enhance storytelling and and deepen the emotions and bring some more authenticity to an experience. Uh, I don't know if you've seen, there's a video on YouTube going around. It's, it's the throne room scene at the end of Star Wars without music. So without the John Williams, you know, brass and percussion fanfare. And you realize that without music, that scene is there's nothing to it. It's people walking down a hallway and putting medals on people's neck and there's no storytelling there. And the moment you add the music, it becomes this heroic celebration of, of triumph and friendship and winning and family and, and all of these things that it, it just, it just lacks by itself. So, you know, all this to say, I think there is a place for music and art. And I think it, it, it can provide valuable contributions to storytelling if it's done well, and if it's done with purpose and if it's done right. Kyle, that's really beautiful. I, I, I love everything that you just said about you know, valuing your 
own art first. It, it, how important that is. And, and no matter who you are as an artist, you really have to believe in yourself because it's really difficult. And, and I, I think, you know, what you said about this, the streaming, uh, streaming innovations, right? Music, music technology innovations that has really changed the way the business is and how, uh, how it's different to monetize now is something that every artist goes through, right? Yeah, um, the industry definitely looks different now than, I mean, even when I was growing up in school learning about it, you know, if I was taking any music business classes or reading any books about you know, how to monetize streams of income, um, a lot of those things are obsolete now. I mean, you know, physical CD sales, physical album sales, like, you know, how, how many people even still have like a CD player in their car or in their house. Like, like who's listening to a, a Walkman or, you know, like the cassette tape is gone. Vinyl is coming back. So like the, the landscape of how we distribute our music to listeners is just changing constantly. Like every year it's different. Uh, and then with the streaming numbers, there's been all sorts of controversies and lawsuits because of just the lack of transparency there. Um, we don't know how many people are listening to whose tracks at any given time. Um, and that can create a lot of conflict between like the companies that are, you know, publishing this music and then the artists who actually wrote the music and, you know, want the royalty income from it. Um, so it's, it's definitely tumultuous uh, and it's definitely different now than it was even just a few years ago because of, and you know, I'm, I'm sure 2020 threw a nice big wrench into that system where suddenly everyone's at home and suddenly everyone is streaming and downloading music a lot more than they would be, you know, as opposed to going out to stores or buying CDs or presents for friends. Now it's, there's a much bigger emphasis on just, oh, music on demand, anything I want, I can just click a button and there it is. And uh, consumers aren't really in the mindset right now to, to pay 10 or $20 for a physical CD that only has a couple tracks on it when they can pay a lot less and get millions of tracks to call up instantly. Um, so it's definitely been a challenge just for any artist now to figure out how to get your music in front of people and how to monetize that. Um, but I, I, I kind of revel in that challenge because, you know, it almost means that there's going to be less competition as more and more people realize how difficult this has become. So as more people kind of drop out or maybe go to other careers or pivot or do other things, uh, I think a few of us are going to, you know, stay behind and really focus and, and work around these roadblocks and try to set things up to, make it better for musicians in the future. Um, I don't quite know how we're going to do that yet. I need to go talk to some lawyer friends, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a journey. And um, it's, I think it's more difficult today than it has been in the past to monetize music. Uh, but that goes back to the conversation about how we value art. And um, if people think they can get everything for free, then what value do they see in having that and access to that music? Yeah, and absolutely, you know, um, I have a lot of friends who are musicians, and they they share a similar sentiment to you. How uh, one of them is was actually a, is actually a music producer here in San Francisco who's made uh, music for television shows, and and he said the same thing. It's like you know, it's difficult to to make music, make money off of music because everything is streaming or get ripped off, ripped ripped off, and and um and and it's a difficult landscape to navigate. And then we have you know those people who you who made a live who make 
make a living out of live performances. A lot of my friends in that area arena really got hit by the lockdowns of this pandemic. Um, and then you have, you know, the uh, the electronic music, um, the electronic music um, uh, producers who have had an excellent year of of just producing inside and and no distractions of parties and and things like that. So I I find it so fascinating. Um, and 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 it's also with interesting to see. Um, who the the cream rising to the top right and and i really do believe it has to do with that sort of staying dedicated to the art of it all the art yes. making it it, it, I, it that's what separates agree. it yeah it's like you could be the best business person but are you really making like this sort of soul connected art right and that and that that's beyond even just uh, music is one 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 art and then there's 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 uh, filmmaking that you know it's cheaper that these days to make films but does that mean that the movies that are are being done right now just because there's a lot of people who can do it are good and right. i well and yeah. that's that's something that i've i've encountered um pretty recently actually um i i was up for a really cool project i was going to be able to do original score for a film and um you know the director ended up going in a different direction and hiring someone else but then i come to find out that the person they hired is not a film composer they're just a musician who plays guitar that this director heard as a street performer one time and decided to get in touch with instead and i'm not sure how that project is going it's really not for me to say rejection is part of the game i totally get that but it does make me wonder uh, if, you know, if filmmakers and other creatives realize that composition for film is its own art on top of being a musician, on top of being a performer and a composer, even a classical composer is not necessarily going to have all the skills and tools required to sync everything up with time code and video and frame rates and file formats. Um, so to, there's a technical to know, component to the, right. to the to to it all too and that's something that you can't you can't you you can't separate especially when you're working for a client or collaborating right you, there's other people right. involved now it's not just it's not just you as a musician um, expressing your art it's now uh, you know coming together with other artists themselves and i think you're completely correct like other artists who are not like for me i'm you know i'm a filmmaker and and i completely understand the but i'm a filmmaker and i'm a producer as well so i understand on the producing side Lee, you you to make the best film you've got to have the right people attached to your to your movie you have to yep. And, and that goes through with music as well. And, and they, you know, you get what you pay for if you always are thinking about, you know, the budget. But, um, you know, and I think that that's the, you know, uh, the, the, the difficult thing. And maybe we could talk a little bit about this, too. Um, it's sort of user-generated content world that we live in, right? The creator world where you have to do it all from start to finish. Um, what do you think about that, Um uh, these days where, you know, you've got to do it all. How does that affect you as an art maker, as an artist? Yeah, uh, I think you've touched on a lot of parts of it there. Um, 
you know, I, I grew up in the world of academia. I was taught that, well, and he still does this. Uh, John Williams is using a pencil and paper and he sits at mm. a piano and he sketches things out and he writes it down on a piece of paper, gives it to an orchestrator and a team of 30 people goes and, you know, prints all of the music and creates all the Pro Tools sessions and sets up all the microphones and tracks everything. And, and John Williams gets paid the most because he wrote it with a pencil and paper. And I kept thinking, oh, that'll be my business model. That'll be what I do. That's how I'm going to be a film composer. And that's simply not the case anymore. Like I said, the, the landscape has shifted. The world has shifted. So now if, if I don't know how to run multiple digital audio workstations, if I don't know how to set up microphones, if I don't know how to create convincing MIDI mockups to um, sell a director on the idea that I'm trying to convey with live instruments, if I can't do all of these other things and, you know, run it as a business and do marketing and do promotion and social media management, if I can't do all of these things, then I'm, you know, I'm not going to be seen. It's hard to cut through the noise if nobody knows that you exist. I can't just, uh, you know, sit here and go to the piano and write something, you know, pencil and paper. And then, yeah, unless I had a lot of startup capital, right? Like if I had enough mm -hmm. money to just re record an orchestra, I could just do it on paper and then pay other people to do that. But, you know, realistically, uh, most of us can't do that. We can't afford to because the musicians at this top level are pretty much the best in the world. And that comes with a premium price. So yeah, you definitely have to have a skill set that goes beyond just music theory or just writing or just composition because as the cuts move around, as the film gets, you know, re-edited, even past, you know, locked picture. To, th there's there's jokes in the film composer community that locked picture means like the first draft. And but but we we expect that there will be frames that are cut out or scenes that are rearranged, and we have to be able to adjust the music to still enhance the story, to still flow naturally, to still respond to the characters or inspire the characters to maybe move or not move or, you know, uh uh a music cue that was on a single glance might now be shifted a few frames and it doesn't quite land the same way. So we have to be able to compensate in terms of tempos and time signatures and calculations and sync it up with the time code. And these are skills that are not traditionally taught just as a, just as a composer, just in a music composition program. So you definitely have to pick up a lot of different production skill sets. Um, hospitality is something I haven't even touched on, but just being able to, not step on people's toes yeah. and being able to being able to read a room and understand like your place in a hierarchy and um, not overstep and not overshare when you're not supposed to be talking, uh, learning studio etiquette, all of these things are, you know, it's, it's definitely a lot of learning on the job and making a lot of mistakes. But yeah, unfortunately, you know, an up and coming composer can't just do pencil and paper anymore. And I think John Williams himself has said in interviews that if he were starting today, he probably would not succeed as a composer because he doesn't know how to work you know we have to be our own producers and arrangers and recording artists and technicians and um, so that's something that you know in an older tradition they didn't learn how to do there were other people that were doing that on a team and now to kind of stand out in these kind of like bedroom studios you have to be able to do all of that and at an exceptional level and uh, it's definitely difficult and i i'm not claiming to be an expert i just know that that's what it takes to really get yourself out there and i i, I like that you're you're laying it out 
right? And and that's why you even got in touch with us because you saw us on on the um, Pride Month uh, newsletter from a masterclass, and then you got in touch with us and 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 told us what you 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 do. And I think uh, that's you know you gotta like you said you gotta put yourself out there if your art making is your business, right? I mean, um, I mean there are definitely. Yep. Artists who are who are make art who don't make it their business. Um, I I oil paint and I try really hard not to make it a business, <laughs> even though I'm a businesswoman. But, but that's it's just, but that's know. good too because y you have right you have something another outlet that you know you don't have to monetize or think about the hustle or like think about how other people are going to see it. It's just something for yourself, just a way to express yourself, and that's important too. Exactly um, to have Ex to have that balance. And I found, too, that, you know, my oil painting, actually, my art makes me a better business person. That's that's it's it's funny that way, I, you know, and it doesn't have to be a business for me um, to make that, you know, to it makes me also a better filmmaker. But but that that's closer to art, because, of course, we want to we, we want to add a layer of artistry to filmmaking. Um, but, you know, there's definitely a reason why it's called show business. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like you're you're in show business, Kyle. So, um, and right. what what I wanted to ask you though, um, you know, we we have you you know we talked a lot about the show show business side of things, but what about what does your art mean to you? Because you you said that before. You said something like you know it, it's all about what my art means to me and how I value my art. So what do, what does it mean to you? I think one of my goals as a musician, as a composer, as a storyteller is to be able to work well with others. And I know that's a strange answer to the question, but I think because music is such a collaborative art form by nature, um, I mm. want to be able to work as well with others as I can because then we all enhance each other's art. So for example, if I'm writing a piece for a string quartet, uh, which I actually currently am, then I can work with those players to give them something to play and something to work on and something that at the time they're playing it is the culmination of all of their years of experience, and all of their years of lessons and all of their struggles and their competitions and their, their theory classes and their violin lessons and hours of practice. Mm -hmm. And all of that is culminated in that singular moment where they're playing a piece that I wrote coming from all of my composition lessons and all of my theory lessons and all of my, you know, struggles and rejections and experimentation. So when that music is made, when, when the, the air molecules are finally jiggling people's eardrums, uh, that becomes something really special. And it's this intersection of different voices and different artists coming together to make something that's greater than ourselves. And that's that's where I think I find the most value is just being able to be in a room with other uh, fantastic artists and just and just jamming and just creating something that didn't exist before. And, you know, maybe if we don't write it down, maybe it's just for that moment. Maybe it won't exist again. I've had jam sessions with friends where we just played music just for its own sake. And it was beautiful and it was special and it was just for us. Um, and of course, you know, that's, that's wonderful. That's idealistic. That's great, Kyle. But then how are you going to make money? How are you going to make a living? And that snaps us back to the reality of the show business that you just mentioned, uh, that it, it, it is a business. So there's, 
you have to make a distinction between music that you make for yourself and that music that you make commercially, like what's going to sell. And then you, you have to keep that top of mind if you're writing anything for a paying client or for a TV show or for a production. But every once in a while, kind of like that, that oil painting thing you do, I'll just, I'll do something for myself. I'll, uh, I'll fold paper airplanes or something fun and silly and non-musical, or I'll just go jam with friends and not worry about recording it or writing it down just to do something that's, you know, just about that singular moment. And that's where I find uh, some of the, the greatest value in the art, I think. Oh, it's beautiful, Kyle. Thank you so much. I, I, I really appreciate all of the things that you, you we, we just talked about and your insights and, and um, the experience and your story that you, you've shared. Um, if people want to learn more about you and your work, where, sh where should they go? Um, yeah, they can go onto my website. It's just my name, kylejhartman.com. Uh, and they can also listen to some of my latest music on SoundCloud, um, just soundcloud.com slash Kyle J. Hartman. Uh, I'm trying to maintain the same branding across all the platforms. So you can probably find me on Instagram as well under Kyle J. Hartman. Um, and yeah, and, you know, keep in touch. I'm totally open to um, questions or collaborations or even meeting up if anyone's in Los Angeles. Um, as the restrictions get lifted, I, you know, fully vaccinated, happy to meet people in person and just and talk about the industry and life and music and art. I'm, like I said, I'm always open to collaboration and new experiences for sure. Absolutely. And we are actually launching a WeXL Impact Network um, producer circle group. And we probably will also ask you back to talk about your experience as a music composer for movies, because people are going to want to know that side of things and, may, oh, and more on the business side of things, because we're, we're, I'm, I'm super interested in, in, in learning even more. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, like I said, I'm, I'm not an expert but I've, I've had uh, um, some wonderful experiences in this town so far. And um, I'm, I'm slowly building up my like musical media empire. Um, and I'm happy to, I, <laughs> to share, to share I, I, the I whole, that whole I process. Love, I love, and I, you know, it's all about that, right? I mean, I, I, love, I love being on the journey and having met you now. <laughs> and seeing, 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 seeing where we, we can take, um, you know, this connection. Thank you so much, Kyle. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me. And so for you listening in uh, at we listening into our podcast we excel weekly please subscribe to the podcast it really helps us out a lot and also check us out at uh, wexl.org that's w e x l.org and that's where you can join our wexl network and you can find out more about what that means and what we can uh, how we can work together and also follow us on social like kyle we're all the same across the board w-e-x-l-o-r-g instagram facebook twitter and tiktok <laughs> and i'm arabella deluco i'm the founder and ceo of wixl until next time thank you so much for listening mm -hmm.